16 years since we finished up the trilogy. George is swarmed with stories, he can see them all so vividly. The tech has gotten better, yes, I guess the rest is history. We'll make the Phantom Menace and we'll decimate the industry. Roll back the clock and we'll talk about the politics of tariff installation and electoral apocalypse and senators and counselors are often known to contradict and by the way, we'll doodle up some new and sexy rocket ships. The prophet is. This kid we're pretty sure can lead the way. Who cares about his training? He's got something in his DNA. We'll make some sloppy choices that annoy some folks, but either way, the world is gonna flip and watch this movie every single day. A couple decades on, which brings us up to recently, some brothers make a show that's breaking down the film strategically and noting that old Georgie might have somewhere kinda lost some steam and now the movie's legacy is being the first prequel meme. It starts off with uh, Crawl that discusses trade disputes uh, amongst the galaxy and how Jedi are being dispatched to represent uh, the Senate and settle the trade dispute. Two uh, Jedi diplomats, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, his apprentice, are uh, being shuttled into the Trade Federation where they hope to settle some kind of disagreement. They assume it's going to be very mechanical and simple. They're going to be able to use a little bit of muscle to intimidate the, the paper pushers, and it doesn't really go that way. Of course, the uh, evil Lord Sidious uh, suggests that they attack and kill the Jedi. So the Viceroy send in a protocol droid to kind of tend to their needs. And as soon as the protocol droid leaves, then they well, actually, while well, the protocol droid's still in there, they gas the Jedi, <laughs> uh, intending to kill them that way. But Jedi aren't killed so easily to the Viceroy's dismay. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why they thought they would be, but whatever. Then there's a big getaway thing where, of course, they, they get away and they kill a bunch of battle droids. And this is surprising to uh, the Viceroy, who then have to kind of go back and, like, uh, tell their boss that this isn't working. Yeah, so the Viceroy are a little surprised that they're able to take down the battle droids, which is ridiculous. But they're <laughs> dead set convinced there's no way the Jedi can take on the droidicas. So the droidicas are then sent in, which are the first time we see a force field in Star Wars, and that's amazing. Uh, so that's an amazing moment that I just had to highlight, even in the summary. You're right. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but the Jedi, unlike the battle droids, don't want to go up against the Jordicas, so they run away really fast after Qui-Gon was trying to uh, get his way through the door by sticking his lightsaber in it. Anyway, they get away. They're out on in the swamps of Naboo uh, eventually, and they run into a hapless local who we, of course, know as Jar Jar Binks, who talks like an idiot. So, yeah, the little planet of Naboo is being uh, kind of threatened and treated poorly by the Trade Federation. They're blocking off their ability to receive supplies. And so, as a result, on their way down, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan stowed away aboard battle droid tanks. They run into this weird animal who is convinced that Qui-Gon, he owes Qui-Gon his life because Qui-Gon saved his life despite him being a total moron. So Jar Jar brings him down uh, to find solace in Gungan City, his hometown, all the while warning them that he's not exactly welcome there, which turns out to be exactly true. Jar Jar gets arrested as soon as they arrive at the underwater city, and they have to go see Boss Nass, who's like the governing entity of, of uh, Gungan City, who, after some deliberation and confrontation, agrees to release Jar Jar unto Qui-Gon Jinn. Yes, Qui-Gon uses some force persuasion to be able to get Jar Jar to come with him and also to be able to get a ship to make their way uh, through to the city in Fornaboo and Thede. And along that submarine excursion away from Gungan City, they're attacked by three giant fish. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are three giant fish. Only a couple of them attack them. And there, are th there are three relate. There are three big fish. Yes, there's always a bigger fish. 
And I thought about that line, mm-hmm. which is kind of a memeable line. It's not a bad name for this episode. And let me talk about why. There are only two things that can be the title of this episode. I currently have as the placeholder, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. First of all, is is a good. it's as good a line, at, and bear with me on this, it's as good a line as you're going to need a bigger boat. Oh, absolutely. Which is considered one of the great lines of all time, but it's comparable because we're talking about big, scary, murderous fish. Yeah, and it's also not like the pinnacle of Star Wars. No, but it's also it's also the, exactly the same cheek. Well, that's the reason. I do think it's one of those few instances where if The Phantom Menace was a great movie, that line would be such a classic line. Right. Yes, that's right. Because it's such a great quip where if Han Solo had said that, it would be fly casual. It would be on those same lines. I totally agree. Now... Let's relate it back to something you and I have talked about in reference to The Phantom Menace before, which is the ambiguity of the phrase The Phantom Menace and how that can very beautifully be a reference to Darth Sidious or Jar Jar Binks or whatever you wanted to project onto it. It's a really nice Mm -hmm. and broad title that applies to a lot of different facets of the introduction of this story, which makes it the best Star Wars title ever. But by the same token, the metaphor of there's always a bigger fish really applies well to the Sith. Uh-huh. <laughs> Big time. It's really nice. It's because there's, there's, there's always something greater to attack you. Now, where it doesn't really work is that the bigger fish actually rescues them. True. By, by preying upon that. Well, that's a good point, but it's interesting because it's looking at it kind of in that two-way. I mean, Palpatine was the one who was part of sending them there. I mean, the Chancellor was the one who sent the, the Jedi and the mission, but... I mean, Palpatine's representing Naboo at that point, so the Trade Federation. So it is interesting in that way. I, I definitely agree, uh, and it's it goes well with Yoda. Is it, who says it at the end? I guess no. I think it's maybe Mace Windu who says it um, when him and Yoda are talking as to whether or not they killed uh, the Master or the Apprentice. Right. And so that's it. Kind of plays on that as well. And always just, two there are. Always two there are, but also hinting at well, we'd maybe maybe we haven't seen the master yet. Maybe there is the bigger fish to come. Now, obviously, one of the biggest criticisms of the first 20 would be this is too political. Federation would not dare go that far. The Senate would revoke their trade franchise and they'd be finished. We must continue to rely on negotiation. Negotiation? We've lost all communications. And where are the Chancellor's ambassadors? George Lucas, who created... Uh, what he what he has always claimed is a kid series made a political thriller in The Phantom Menace. Holy fucking shit. This is The Crawl. The Crawl alone shows that it is not for 12-year-olds, right. George. Pick one way or the other. I get it. I understand that at the crux you wanted this to be for 12-year-olds, but then don't put the ridiculously wordy crawl that it was it is, there. That oh, would have terrified me having seen those first three movies and then just watching the crawl for right. The Phantom Menace, I'd be scared for the movie. It's probably a big part of the reason why I wouldn't really fixate too much on the crawls as a kid because I, no. I watched those movies and I was like, I don't really understand this verbiage. Oh, I couldn't keep up with them ever. No. no I, you're too slow. I was too slow of a reader. Yeah. But, so the first line of the crawl is turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic and that is a little wordy. It's not bad. Turmoil is a good Star Wars word. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that's important for the storytelling of this new world building we're going to do. Yep. Because it establishes, first and foremost, this this climate is the opposite of what you're used to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important. But can you explain for me exactly what the Trade Federation is, if not a branch of the Galactic Republic? Is it a private sector? 
Well, you see, because there's different governing systems for the different planets, now I'm not exactly sure how the Trade Federation works because they're so... And this is something that's just poorly done within the movies, uh, and I've always kind of struggled to figure out kind of the differences, is because the Viceroy are, are also the political faces for the Separatists, and then Count Dooku comes in and he becomes also the political face as well. And so the Viceroy are... Like, I'm not quite sure, to be honest, the the how the trade federation has the power it does right but it's very much in the instance of like donald trump kicking up a a stink and just not wanting to allow for example in this instance naboo to have simple supplies for bullshit political reasons that have nothing to do but are just inhumane right so what is we're going to call him lord sidious to distinguish Mm -hmm. what is lord sidious's position within the trade federation like obviously he commands the viceroy he doesn't have one so he's just he just leads by intimidation he just tells them what to do so he would have he has a position with kind of like the separatist movement so that's where that kind of gray area is so the trade federation is the legitimate titles kind of of the right and that's what it is on the books yeah and i guess the separatists are a legitimate organization as well but not as much at this point it's and, and this is the reason why people are frustrated by these movies is because it's so fucking confusing for no reason at all. Well, and George Lucas doesn't know anything about political science. He just (laughs) made up the rules. Well, what he he does is he'll generally, and I don't know what these are reflected on, but almost all of the political elements of Star Wars are reflected on past political moments. Oh, interesting. And so, like, well, there's tons of little things, like whether it's uh, relating the Nazis to, sorry, the Empire to the Nazis, uh, Ewoks to the Vietnam... Um, oh, and the Empire being the Americans in that instance. Um, and there, Nixon was, um, who did he kind of frame up as Nixon? Uh, Palpatine, maybe? I don't remember. But uh, basically, that's, like, that's heavy handed. Ch- Chancellor Valorum, <laughs> uh, for example, was based off of like Bill Clinton. Uh, it's like his political tendencies, someone who's a good person, but constant, like a political blunderer. Someone Malcolm McDowell, is that the actor's name? Uh, I think so. He he just has a, a villainous face. I struggle to see him as a heroic character. Well, it was always weird when I was really young watching this because he looked like a villain and Palpatine was too sketchy to not be. And yeah. so it's just, it, I didn't know who to trust at all. No, exactly. <laughs> so Palpatine, Lord Sidious is the leader of the separatist movement. Palpatine is a senator, not the leader, but he's an important lawmaker within the Republic. So he's on both sides. Yes. So he's a senator, uh, and his position getting chancellor happens uh, later on. So right. And that's a surprise, but a welcome one. Right. Uh, the very memeable moment. Uh, that's when Valorum gets removed from the vote of no confidence yes. by Padme, and that's down the road a little bit as well. But Lord Sidious is the secret leader of the Separatists. Yes. Okay. But do the Viceroy know that they're the same person? Because he's wearing a no, hood. no, no, no. Okay, so I, th- I think they may have some sort of inklings, but I don't think he brings the Viceroy in that close to see. <laughs> but that's what I'm confused about, because he seems to drop a pretty obvious hint when he's like, do this thing, and they're like, but my lord, is that legal? And he's like, I will make it legal, implying I'm going to go to my other job as a lawmaker and make it legal. They 100% know by the, like as things progress. I just don't know if they know yet. Okay. Who he is exactly. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily even know why I'm thinking that because I know later on Sidious, obviously he orders Anakin to go slaughter all of the separatist leaders because right. the whole point was that he would have all these separatist leaders who 
if the separatists won the war, great. He had a bunch of faces for his political cane and he uh, campaigned and he would rule as the behind the scenes leader of the separatists. Yes. Or if the Republic won, he's the fucking chancellor. He's going to make it his empire and he's going to lead the galaxy. So either way, he was hedging his bets. Yeah. And so I just don't know if at this particular point, if the viceroy knew who exactly he was. Mm-hmm. Maybe they did. And I'm sure it's confirmed somewhere in canon. Uh, but I would be surprised if Lord Sidious was was ballsy enough to tell the idiot Viceroy who he was. That's what, That leads me very perfectly into my biggest question about the Viceroy. Are they racist? What? What did you say? The ambassadors are Jedi Knights, I believe. I knew it. They're here to force a settlement. Distract them. I will contact Lord Sidious. Are you brain dead? I'm not going in there with two Jedi. Actually, what they're based on is ancient Chinese merchants. Yeah. And Nemoidians are the worst fucking alien in Star Wars. Yeah, they're morons. They're ridiculous. They're like bumbling. They're like Horace and Jasper. But they're also super racist, like you said. Yeah, they're racist, right? Oh, what is the meaning of this? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous, yeah. George. How did you get away with that? It sounds like a, like a bad karate movie. Yeah, and the fact that their like, lips don't move well at all with their voices, it's like bad lip dubbing. Yeah. It's like one of those ridiculous movies. That's the thing that completely did not stand out to me. Another thing, uh, accent-wise, and this is a little bit more uh, a question about Ahmed Best, but I never, I mean, obviously we know Jar Jar Binks has a ridiculous speaking voice. I never really noticed the clear Jamaican influence in Jar Jar's accent until this viewing. Mr. Your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the gods, it is. Oh, I didn't even notice it. I've yeah, never noticed it. I it just kinda st- it kinda stood out to me and I don't know if that's got to do with his origins. Like he's an American though, right? Uh, I, be- I believe so, yeah. So I don't I don't know if that was a put on on his part. I do have one line from Jar Jar that I want to bring up because obviously every line from Jar Jar is a take back. And it's Jar Jar a, is a take back. Well, <laughs> Jar Jar's a take back. Every I, I struggle with that too because there's a part of me that wants to write because I can't just reserve our quotable quote section for good lines. It has to include bad lines too, or because they're the ones that are memorable. Everything Jar Jar says is stupid, and everything is quotable because of how he talks. Yeah, it's exactly. Kind of like Yoda. It's, well, yeah, but Yoda's Yoda says great things, and Jar Jar says idiotic things. Yes, yeah. but there was one particular one that I just couldn't get past. It was the stupidest thing. Misa caused maybe one a dewy little bit of accidentis. You de say the boomagasa una crash boss nasas hiba billy den a banished. That is not English. No. No one could figure that shit out. I literally had to pull up the script because I didn't understand it. That's something I noticed in this viewing because I haven't seen it in years. No. Uh, how little I must have understood what Jar Jar was talking about. It's back, like, back then, it, they just sounded like noises. And that's the thing. Like, George, if you're going to go that far, don't give him an English voice at all. Right, exactly. Why not just have him speak in subtitles? Well, and this was an interesting... Because he's thing. supposed to say, like, oopsie-daisy, and, it, like... Oh, he doesn't say that, well, but, like... stupid shit like yeah, that. He exactly. says, if he said oopsie-daisy, I'd almost be happier. Yeah, that would be normal. Because it'd be, like, oopsie-doongie or something here. Yeah. But the pro- one thing I noticed that was kind of funny is right after Qui-Gon saved Jar Jar, uh, with his immediate... Like, jump to the life debt element? Mm-hmm. I saved his life. He owes me what you call a life debt. Your gods demand that his life belongs to me now. And for people who are fans of the EU uh, and Legends as well with Star Wars, that's a big element for Han 
and Chewy, life debts, a life debt, yeah. yeah. And that was kind of the introduction as to how they met. Now that has been, I believe, brought back into canon through one of the aftermath books. Kind of complicates their friendship a little bit, but exactly. So it was yeah. brought in in a way where Solo, I like what they did. That it wasn't the first thing. Like he didn't. They weren't. Be, they weren't friends based on force because no. like slavery. Chewy, yeah, Chewy owed him his life. Yeah, that maybe that happens later on where that's the reason why they've continued to work together for so so long and why Chewie is like his faithful companion no matter what happens yeah um but i thought it was interesting the way jar jar very quickly uh told qui-gon like i owe you my life and it's interesting because i have a very good feeling that that was intentional where for this movie jar jar would be like the Chewie to qui-gon's han mm -hmm. and for the following two movies he would be the Chewie to anakin's han Okay. Whereas he would follow up because when Anakin joins the story, Anakin and Jar Jar become very, very close. So Anakin, yeah. Jar Jar has his closest relationships with Anakin and Qui-Gon, and there's no reason why George would have cut down Jar Jar so much. So I think there's actually a pretty decent chance that Jar Jar could have been uh, kind of like an Anakin sidekick for the next two movies, and we're very lucky that didn't well, happen. Well, this is assuming that he wasn't developed into the Great Sith Lord, which I know, Darth Jar Jar, yeah. I know is kind of silly. But it also, I think I believe it. I don't necessarily know if I believe it. I think it's the best theory I've ever probably ever heard. Yeah. But I don't know if I believe it. Uh, there are certain parts of it that I know were out of context when you watch the theory. Like when George says Jar Jar is the key to all of this. Yeah. Well, Jar Jar is the key to all of this. He only says that because Jar Jar is the first fully realized... Um, performance capture yeah and so he's talking about his jar jar's he's talking about the new way yeah. to look at film if we can get jar jar to work we have no problem with any of our other technology jar jar's the key to all of this that's important that's yeah. an important distinction yeah because that's the one everyone hangs their hat on <laughs> yeah no there's just a lot of little and things there's about... the, the little things in the movement and the way he like kind of mumbles and it looks like he's doing force persuasion and because with his stupid hand gestures that he does. i don't buy that there's I, there's a lot of great stuff i really buy into his bad attitude about the force mm -hmm. and he, he really yep. lays that on a lot in this first 20 yeah Ooh, maxi, maxi big, big the force is yeah uh, but like that's another line that i don't know what he says next uh, I don't know what he says that next either, but I do. I did actually have that down as a kind of a good Jar Jar line. That might be one of his only good lines because it's performed, it's well, kind it, of put on. But yeah, but it's all exactly. It's it's also shows where his thought process is. He's and yeah. he he really disrespects Qui Gon constantly. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. It hasn't happened as much yet, but it will more. This is my other issue with with Jar Jar speaking. It's not just in the way he pronounces words or makes up words. His sentences run together in like a non-natural way. Like when mm. Boss Nass is like, fine, go be with him. And Qui-Gon's just saved his life. His direct line is, count me out of this one. Better dead here than dead in the core. Egads, what's Amisa saying? And so like his body language and the way that whole sentence runs together, because that's two separate thoughts, right? That's, that's having an instinct and then going against it. And the whole thing runs together like it's one thought, which says to me, the writing for Jar Jar is bad. The development for Jar Jar is bad. And Ahmed Best is a bad actor. Poetry it is. Why? All it is is George Lucas thinking, oh, we had Yoda speak in kind of mishmashed ways of syllables. And everybody loved the way he spoke. Yeah. Not at all no. what we wanted, George. <laughs> no. 
Uh, it's actually, I did a lot of research coming into this one just about kind of uh, some kind of curious little tidbits here and there. And as much as I keep saying George in kind of a disrespectful way, he did try very, very hard to get someone else to write this movie yep. and to get someone else to direct this movie. Ron Howard. Ron Howard, Steven Spielberg, and Robert Zemeckis were all offered the job to direct this movie. And all three of those guys are incredible directors. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things we would have said very differently. He wanted to focus on the world building and action. And imagine if we could have had somebody else write the words and allow, like, just rein George in on a couple things. Yeah. Just a couple things directorially. I can see Spielberg not wanting to do it because he's an auteur. He's also, they're like best friends. So I could see why yep. he would feel like, I don't want George bossing me around. It would we be had weird. a good relationship for Indy because it was both of ours. Ron Howard did a great job with Solo. He's a little milk toast, mm -hmm. and he was also still in his art in his artist's phase in the '90s. He was like making Apollo and like, yeah. uh, but and no, I was gonna say uh, Forrest Gump, but that was Robert Zemeckis. I People was also say, thought this was gonna be an Oscar movie, though. Yeah, maybe you're right, but like Robert Zemeckis is campier because of Back to the Future. Yeah, no, I think he would have been excellent. He probably would have been really great. Yeah. But I think it was it was something that so many people were afraid to touch. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you could say I know why, but I don't really think so. I think George, although he's not super flexible, there's proof that he's been able to bend on certain things in the past. Look, at the end of the day, George created the greatest uh, piece of modern fiction. Absolutely. And uh, he, has, he has one of the great imaginations in all of uh, creating things. He also... Um, is just the way he is. Mm. Like he's a stubborn person. Yep. And and he sees things the way he sees them. Some of that's not his fault. Some of it's executives giving him too much power. Yeah, absolutely. But also he had, yeah, there are certain things that are um, George not exactly being, you could say not being fair, but at the same time, he is the creator. Like the contract he has with disney we'll never see the 1977 uh, or 1980 or 1983 releases the, the original trilogy the ones that happened in the theater those are gone george is taking those to his grave i guarantee you in the disney contract they have no access to those but why because they're incomplete for george he didn't have the technology he needed then to be able to make the movies the way he wanted and as he expanded the galaxy and completed other thoughts and changed other thoughts uh, because although he had notions for the prequel trilogy when he was doing the original trilogy, it was very different and things changed a lot. But there were certain things that as he completed the galaxy with the prequel trilogy, it allowed him to fill in certain blanks for the original trilogy as well. So I think there's also something uh, creationally that George Lucas struggles with, mm -hmm. which is that once you release your art, it's not yours anymore. Yeah. Once you give it an audience, if you wrote Harry Potter or if you made a painting or you That's wrote a, point. an album and the fans have it it's theirs now and it's finished and you mm -hmm. don't you can't just you can't just keep going in and adding like a bird in the sky or or whatever you might want to do it's over yeah and that's the thing that's that's what he does and i mean the biggest misstep is obviously han no longer shooting first in canon but yes i think every single person including kathleen kennedy and everyone else that's part of disney and lucasfilm was probably okay with the fans still seeing Han shooting first. <laughs> Everybody just kind exactly. of is on the same page yeah. with that one other than George, I yeah. think. Uh, okay, trivia. Any Padawan questions? I think you already answered my Padawan question. I have tons of trivia here. So okay. 
Uh, you ask, you give me the Padawan coin uh, I'm first. I'm pretty sure you already covered it in your oh. recap. Uh, what is the name of the protocol droid that greets the Jedis when they arrive at the beginning? TC-14. TC-14. Looks too much like 3PO to not be confusing to children. Yeah. Except it, it's female. It was, The female was the only reason why I was able to tell the part when yeah. I was a little kid. Yeah. Of course. What do you have for me? Um, trivia. What is the type of ship they use to travel through the core of Naboo? The, the underwater ship? Yeah. Is a bongo, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at me. Gungan nice. question for you. This is my night question. What is the name of the Gungan captain who arrests Jar Jar? Tarples. Yeah. Roos Tarples. But he doesn't really sound like that when Jar Jar says it. Jar Jar. Yeah. Well, who's also kind of a racist character <laughs> now that I think about it. Because he has a Fu Manchu. Yeah, he does. Although that's kind of cool, though. He, at least he's like strong and a badass. Yeah. He's he, not like a bumbling idiot. No, he's awesome. And it's yeah. also, he's not a Nemoidian, so it's not within the same consistency of racism. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll give you my night question as well. Um, actually, I, I gave it to you, but I had a backup one. I, the question was, what's the species of the Viceroy? Oh, okay. Nemoidian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll ask you a different one now. Uh, what's the name of Pointy Beard? Uh, who is in Amidala's board of advisors? Oh, you know what? I don't know, um, like like Bobo or Boo Boo or something, right? Actually, that's really Be- really Bebo? close. Yeah, uh, it's Bibble. Bibble. Seal Bibble. Uh, that's right. That rings a bell. I looked him up because the actor struck me as really familiar. Like he seems like he's probably an important British character actor. He has uh, a great probably. little white beard, and he talks really like. He's got a great voice. I know you and I always made fun of his voice when we were kids, so that's why I chose him. Did we? What does he say? Oh, there's one line he says that comes later in this movie. um, Like, you must something. Okay. Uh, Like, you must contact us or something like that. Yeah, that kind of rings a bell. And we always made fun of him when we were little, so. Speaking of voices, when we get our first exposure uh, to Queen Amidala, and by the way, totally wasted the chance to, to make a meal out of unveiling Queen Amidala. Who's like been a great mysterious character in Star Wars for twenty years at this point, and they're just like, oh, by the way, here she is, and she looks ridiculous. <laughs> uh, they show her a second later in person when she's having a meeting, but the first uh, the first uh, instance of her is on hologram, and that actually works because it uh, mirrors Princess Leia really well. But it's clearly Natalie Portman, so I'm getting ahead of myself. The story, of course, is that. Uh, Natalie Portman played Queen Amidala and that the decoy is played by Kira Knightley and that's interesting because they famously look similar mm-hmm. and they both became big movie stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was clearly Natalie Portman in the getup, mm-hmm. but it was not her voice. You will not be so pleased when you hear what I have to say, Viceroy. Your trade boycott of our planet has ended. It is her voice. It's digitally changed. Oh, okay. They digitally changed her voice so that there it's was... so low. Yeah, that, that is what they did. They lowered her voice to make it more regal. Okay. Uh, which is kind of funny. It, it kind of falls similarly to the way Leia says Governor Talkin in a very British way. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's kind of funny in that regard. But no, they distinctly separate it. When she's in the Queen getup, she has a slightly lower voice than when she's Padme. Is that to make it more of a surprise so that you won't predict that Padme and, and Amidala are the same person? I believe so, yeah. Okay. It's funny because I can hear Natalie Portman's voice in my head and it's very high pitched. It is. Yeah. And she's also like a kid, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, they had to, and it's, it sounds much more adult. It does. And it's boring. I re- always yeah. remember thinking, oh, that woman has such a boring voice. Because <laughs> it was. Name uh, both Viceroy. Oh, I won't be able to do that. That's fair. Teach and Chong. 
Newt Gunray. Oh, Newt Gunray, of course. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And Rune Huckle. I never would have gotten that. No. But Newt Gunray sounds familiar. Yeah, Newt Gunray is the main one. I think as a kid, I thought Viceroy was one of their names. Because I didn't know what the like political term Viceroy was. They also don't call him Newt Gunray in the movie. Interesting. Yeah. That kind of thing reoccurs in Star Wars, though. We just know who people are because of action figures and yeah. video games. Exactly. There are a ton of instances. There's a, few, there's a couple other main characters in this movie who fall in that category. Is that right? And not being named, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, overall, what do you think won the 20? Like, what, what do you think... Uh, it doesn't have to be, like, a person, or it could be a concept... Like, I have four things. Me too. Oh, really? Yeah, I have four things that were, I thought were the kind of the best moments of the 20. Okay, so yours are moments-based, because mine are just like broad Or highlights. Concepts. One of them is a broad concept. Okay. Uh, so my broad concept is the pacing. Okay. It is an exceptionally paced 20. All right. That is a great start to a movie. You're right, and Star Wars has always done that well, to be fair. A lot happens in 20 minutes in every Star Wars movie. Yeah, there are a few slow 20s, uh, but it is... Never the first 20. No, uh, this is really an excellent 20, though. Uh, yeah. I think it starts off well, getting from planet, uh, sorry, getting from space down to planet side already, uh, and then getting into what I also have as one of the best moments is fucking Gungan City. I also included Gungan City. Yeah, that is incredible. It's Gungan amazing. City is amazing. Aquaman, which is going to be coming out this year or next year or mm-hmm. whatever, it, lo- it's, it looks identical to Gungan City. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it also doesn't look much better either. And it's been 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, incredible. It also reminds me of Zora's Domain in yes. Breath of the Wild. Definitely. It's, it's like, I mean, it's underwater and it's it's just very cool. It is. And uh, you mentioned force fields. Mm-hmm. There is kind of like a, a cool that force field. bubbly one, yeah. Well, it's just like very imaginative. Like the whole sequence, the little things they put on their mouths that oh make my them God. able to breathe underwater. That was just an enviable trinket to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. So that was very cool so everything about that sequence in spite of the campy dialogue is actually very visually stimulating yeah they probably thought they were on a roll at that point in the filming of the film i thought it was incredible uh the entire sequence of them swimming down and using the the breathalyzer the um uh uh breath breather thingies yeah um and also then leaving in the bongo i mean the whole damn thing in gungan city was cool except for the gungans Vehicles are also one of my things that I want to uh, give mention to because, I mean, they've created a whole lot of different spaceships. Some of them kind of ugly, some of them kind of weird looking in this 20, but like the Bongo is pretty friggin' amazing. Yeah, the Bongo is very, very cool. There was I a ha- really great Lego Bongo. Oh, yeah. Really? You had that, didn't you? I think I did. I think you did, yeah. yeah. It was very cool. Um, yeah, no, I had uh, written down the swim to Gungan City, Gungan City, the bongo, and all the big fish as listed as one awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, it's the whole underwater thing. Introduction to force fields as well was one of them. Totally. Um, the exceptional pacing. And then my other one is uh, just Qui-Gon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of cool. He's just very cool. His use of force persuasion and his like just take no prisoners attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's It's interesting. It's very interesting to have kind of that from a jedi he pulls off force persuasion really well in this 20 and we talked recently in the kenobi theory about how maybe only obi-wan is as proficient in in force persuasion as we thought but no Mm -hmm. qui-gon can pull it off qui-gon's good but how force persuasion works is it's on intelligent beings is when you struggle yeah they need to be dumb i mean qui-gon struggles with wado later on yes Uh, although there are some things i've learned about wado that also make him a horribly like He's a slave owner. Yeah, he's a slave owner, but he's also a play off of a lot of disabilities. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, droids, I know battle droids are considered oafish and, and Roger Roger is ridiculous, but they're really cool looking. Uh, I actually think the platforms that they fly on are extremely cool looking. They are. But I don't think the battle droids do. I think they don't hold up I very think, well. No, but I think that's the point. I think, I think that... Oh, you mean like they don't age well? No, yeah, I don't think they age well. I thought the Droidicas did because they're moving. Yeah, I think they're awesome too. But I, just, I didn't think the Roger Roger beige battle droids looked remotely even real. No, I'm okay with I'm okay. I don't okay. The animation doesn't look that real. That's that's what I was referring to. No, I I think I think just uh, design wise they're very cool and I like that yep. they're beige. I think that that makes them look militaristic. They were supposed to be stark white and, it and was I one think, of the last things Luke's changed. I think they look mass produced, which is the point. And I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only other thing I have is holograms. There are more holograms in this 20 than in the entire original trilogy. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's constant holograms. Tons of Lord Sidious holograms. And Viceroy. Yep. And Amidala. Yeah. It's all over the place. No, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, the Lord Sidious. I do have to say I have that as a take back, though, is, holy shit, it's so obviously the same dude. I know. Like, more of his face is exposed than... Like there should be, there well, needed to be some form of better disguise for Palpatine, and we if know it was going to be a better reveal for anyone. We know when they're talking to Lord Sidious, we know that he's the Emperor, right? I yeah, I I always did because why wouldn't you? He's an old man in a black cloak. I always knew that they were the same person, but as it's a the first time. So. It's the first time they call him Lord Sidious. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, mean, it, I, I actually, I'm I'm pretty confident Lord Sidious was likely mentioned in the expanded universe by that point yeah you're probably or in right. an action figure or something yeah that's probably fair that's very true my guess is that was something where we didn't have to connect the dots as the, much the vice where i mentioned that they've never encountered a jedi before have you ever encountered a jedi knight before son well no but i don't seal off the bridge yes sir <laughs> yeah and i found that kind of odd because, that was weird first of all how do you know what a jedi looks like because you just saw these two men in robes and you're like oh that's a jedi and well, i think tc14 say it yeah but how did she know well they have lightsabers and they're the only ones who dress like monks i guess but like then you've never encountered a jedi before in this age where jedi are just everywhere no i know it's interesting though i'm curious to know about the like the i guess war-based landscape of the galaxy at this point because it's not it's not in turmoil i guess with war yet there's political dispute but it's not a full-fledged war. No. The Jedi are still peacekeepers and diplomats at this point. Mm-hmm. So if this is the first time the Viceroy have really made a big move, it makes sense that it'd be the first time they bring in the Jedi. And the Jedi really aren't supposed to be as political figures. And that's this is the start of them being used in the wrong way, kind of. Right, right. Yeah, it's a little convoluted in there, but it it makes some sense that... They wouldn't have seen them. Another thing that I think distinguishes this film from the original trilogy in the first 20, I think one of the things it doesn't do well to establish that we're playing in the same sandbox is that the dialogue is very stentorian and proper. It lacks a certain blue collar nature to the way people, there's no relatability in the way people talk. Everybody has a very proper British accent. There's no Americans. There's no Americans. Yeah, but that's it's not as it's not as simple as that. It's there's there's no farm boys. There's no there's no uh, like smugglers. There's only 
the tradition of Obi-Wan calling Qui-Gon master, which no Padawan has ever said in uh, in another Star Wars movie leading up to now. And everybody speaks in uh, master, very... I think he was called Master Yoda a couple, a handful of times in the original trilogy. I could be wrong he on that. He calls him Master Yoda. He yeah. doesn't call him Master or there's no, no. young Padawan. No. Well, the Padawan learner element was one of the very first things George Lucas ever came up with when it okay. came to Star Wars. The original concept was it was Mace Windu and his two kids. Uh, and yeah, or one of them was a Padawan learner, and and then they changed. He changed it to Anakin Starkiller and his two kids, and then they changed that where it's like, no, let's just go with Luke Starkiller, and then he brought back Anakin Skywalker, and in the next one making Darth Vader because he didn't think Darth Vader would land. So it's like this whole smorgasbord stuff. Right. The interesting thing is Qui Gon was supposed to be played by an American actor. Okay, George Lucas one hundred percent wanted that. He was never in a million years going to pass up the opportunity for Liam Neeson, though. Right. He was over the moon That's for, the, for the concept of Liam Neeson. He thought, no way am I going to pass up a chance to have such a professional, amazing actor on set yes. to have everybody look up to. Funny thing, though, hiring Liam Neeson was not in the budget. Uh, it cost them $150,000 extra to make all of the sets slightly taller. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> he is a very tall man. Yeah, but he was uh, he was by enough taller that... Uh, than everybody else that it cost them another 150 grand to cast him <laughs> no kidding it's just a funny little tidbit but well i did notice that he and jar jar are roughly the same height so mm -hmm. that makes jar jar taller than i think a lot of people think he is well ahmed best is also wearing a thing on his head like ahmed best isn't quite that tall right so he has like a hat like where jar jar's neck is is ahmed best's eyes yeah that would be very tough to act with, wouldn't it? It's impressive to be able to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff with him, like doing like weird like body movements. Yeah, he's a phenomenal physical actor. Yeah, yeah. You may like dialogue-wise, I can, I definitely would agree with you there. And the but, direction like, was bad. That's not his fault. Exactly. Physically, though, he is he's he's quite impressive. He really is. One thing I do want to mention, though, back to it is the British American thing uh, more than we think it is. Yeah. Uh, because you related, I love the fact that you related it back to the original trilogy because that's what they did, though. They like I believe it was Irvin Kershner who wanted to make the division, whereas mm -hmm. he made all the Imperials British and he made all the Rebels American. Okay. And so from then on out, for those next two movies, we saw a bunch of good guy Americans and a bunch of bad guys who were British. Right. So it's in our head that the good guys are American, yet we haven't not been introduced to a single American yet. Maybe it is, except, I mean, if it's true that in the Battle of Endor, the... Empire is a metaphor for yeah, America. Like it, clearly, George is not uh, a total blind patriot. No, but that's why we interpret that that way. Is what I believe. I can see that it's kind of incepted in yeah, us. Yeah, it's incepted in us that the empire, in the same way, and we'll mention it a little bit later on. Uh, but about one of the castings in episode nine, how everyone immediately jumps to the same thing, and for pretty good reason. Yep. Uh, but let's just kind of finish up some of the things here. A couple other good lines. Uh, you were banished for being clumsy? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of <laughs> That was silly. an absolutely good one. Uh, I've got a, a joint Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon line that's, uh, it's just good. I always remembered it. That is the sound of a thousand terrible things heading this way. If they find us, they will crush us, grind us into tiny pieces, and blast us into oblivion. I actually don't have that one down in my lines because I have it down as my, uh, my nostalgic moment. Yeah. Because that line was my favorite. Yeah. I loved the way they delivered it because you could just see the twinkle in their eyes, yeah. the way they're just like, they're fucking with Jar Jar, yeah. but at the same time, what they say is terrifying. <laughs> it is, but you're right. They're just tormenting him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But the way that they're saying it is... It's, it's really quite funny. I love that line. Um, this is impossible. Yeah. 
That's amazing. <laughs> well, the delivery. Makes well, Joel, it. Uh, Duke Gunray has a couple in here. Uh, like I was not aware of such fail of such a failure uh, right. when he says that to Padme. That one's actually kind of a good line. I do have to say. Yeah. Uh, in terms of play- playing dumb. I missed the chance to bring this up when you were talking about life debts before. But the line isolated that Qui Gon says to Boss Nass, "I saved his life. He owes me what you call a life debt." Is a sucky line mm-hmm. because it's just it's just very symmetrical. Yeah, life. that one is a shout out to Star Wars fans who already knew what life debts were if in the Star Wars so. universe. Yeah. Um, there's uh, the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. <laughs> right. What a great line. Uh, now you mentioned before that you think the episode should either be called "There's Always a Bigger Fish." Can I take a guess at what you think the other episode title should be? Go for it. The negotiations will be short. Almost. Okay. The negotiations were short. Yeah. These Federation types are cowards. The negotiations will be short. You were right about one thing, Master. The negotiations were short. That is pretty good. A, there's some serious mugging in that second uh-huh. callback <laughs> of the line from Obi Wan, but it's kind of works. Yeah, it really does. Because uh, the Obi Wan, I had both we, those lines. It's great lines. Though. They are. They yeah. are both good lines. And uh, the the Obi Wan we know leading up into this movie is not. Like he actually, he's kind of serious, mm-hmm. and so like that, we see a little childishness in him in this scene, which I actually think is pretty well developed. Yeah, it really is. Uh, there's a couple. There's one other line I wanted to just mention here. It's Darth Sidious, and I'd never heard it before, uh, and it is an incredible burn. Okay, uh, it's when the uh, not the Viceroy, but the other Nemoidian is speaking with Gunray to the thing with the, like the balls on his face. Yeah, yeah, the one who's. Yeah, the, the ridiculous-looking Nemoidian. And even more racist than the Viceroy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so he, the uh, what Darth Sidious says to Viceroy is, Viceroy, I don't want to see this stunted slime in my sight again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was very good. That's pretty great. That was a great burn. You know what I found interesting, and I don't remember this about Naboo? Uh, people from Naboo are called the Naboo. Yeah. And I, I found that kind of like... Not Nabooians, but they say it a lot. The reason I guess my guess is on that is because Nabooian sounds a lot like Nemoidian. Yeah, I guess it does. And Nemoidians were they supposed found, to, they, they were supposed to be very prominent, but really? they're terrible. Well, the thing is, they were also supposed to be CG, yeah. and then George realized, can't do it. Too expensive? Too expensive. Tech wasn't right. Couldn't get yeah. it to work. Well, keep in mind... They only had like Jar Jar's one and like all the other Gungans, but like then also doing the Nemoidians, they couldn't get the moth working. Yeah. And the moth didn't get working on the practical effects either. They're right. Like crap. costumes, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, normally Star Wars has very charming costumes. So I'm yeah, and their practical effects are normally great. And yeah. so many other aliens. And that's the thing that's a shame is that prob- Nemoidians might be the worst race of aliens yeah. in all of Star Wars, and they have such a prominent role. What becomes of them after the original trilogy? You could say that about a lot of different species. You're right. And I only have one more observation about this 20 that I actually think is one of the... I think it's very good. I thought it was clever, and I thought it was it was fun, uh, and it's very good foreshadowing. Uh, in the sequence where we first see Sheev Palpatine in his good guy state, yep, and he's having a conference via hologram with the other senators and the queen, his transmission starts to cut out. Mm-hmm. He flickers a little bit, and then his voice gets very low and demonic. Uh-huh. How could that be true? I have assurances from the Chancellor. His ambassadors did it right. That's both. Negotiate. Ambassadors. Senator Palpatine. 
What's happening? I think that's on purpose, and I think it's definitely foreshadowing his evil. Yeah, no, I didn't necessarily clue into the fact that it probably is foreshadowing as well. Um, I just thought of it more as like kind of a a subtle drop to be able to kind of connect it when you go back and watch. Like, I'm I'm curious, and I would like to know from somebody who was uh, a conscious Star Wars fan in the '90s. I can't say I was a conscious fan as a five-year-old. Right. Uh, so it would be nice to hear from somebody's perspective what it was like leading up to this point, the information that they had available to them, uh, what was a surprise, what was expected, what was like a jaw drop in the theater, or what was like, a, oh, or why are you trying to keep this secret? There's so many things like that that I'd really be curious to get an angle on from somebody. I don't think jaw drops in the theater were something they really chased after with these movies. Because if you go back and you look at the theatrical trailer for The Phantom Menace, it's very spoilery. Well, the number of spoilers for The Phantom Menace, it's ridiculous. They give away the double-bladed lightsaber. They give away Qui-Gon's death on the track list. Right. They give away Qui-Gon's death for something else, too. They also, for the entire prequels, and a lot of people forget this, they release the books first. Oh, my God. Yeah. That seems so crazy now, right? Uh-huh. It seems insane. Yeah. I remember a guy in my class was reading Revenge of the Sith before it came out, and I was jaw-dropped. I was like, what? Yeah. That's not a thing. Yeah. I didn't... I, at that time, though, I was... And I still stand by this, and not being a big fan of Star Wars books before they were canon, uh, I didn't care because they weren't legitimized by George Lucas fully, so in the same way, they weren't... So they weren't the official novelizations? Well, that's the thing. Before Disney took over, there was the movies, and there was Clone Wars, and there was everything else. Yeah. Like, there was a couple things that Lucas was involved in, but a lot of them he just gave the rights to Mm -hmm. and wasn't. And I find, I don't see, like, having no oversight, I can't see those as ever being part of the Star Wars universe. So. I never was interested in them, so I don't have those same like connections to like Thrawn the same way people who loved Thrawn back on his introduction. Like I am a big fan of the new Thrawn, but that's because it's a great character that was initially established with just different stories. How does it work now when uh, Star Wars Episode Eight comes out, and then like maybe six weeks go by at the most, and the book comes out? Like, it can be a little bit longer. Like for example, the solo novelization is going to come out in in still about three weeks from so now. So is that because the guy or the gal who they commissioned to write the book doesn't get to see the movie until anybody else, and then they have to write like a motherfucker? No. So they get earlier drafts, usually. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you can sometimes see inconsistencies. Ah. And sometimes you'll see things that are then cut out. So that's why there are certain parts of, say, for example, The Force Awakens that I would still consider as close to canon as possible. Yeah. Because, well, no, they are canon because they're, they're in the book. But they're not in the movie. But they're even more canon than in the book because there are certain elements where books are, everything is as canon as can be. Everything's equal. Unless the movie contradicts it. Right, right. And they do their absolute best to never have that happen. There's only been one or two small contradictions that Disney has created for themselves. Almost everything they've done a really good job of. They've not pigeonholed. Mm. Uh, I think the only one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, Ray and Poe have met each other for the first time twice, right. for example. Right. Uh, at In the end of um, The Last Jedi, and but they met each other in the book at the end of The Force Awakens, for example. I see, I see. So, but for the most and part... movie takes priority. Yeah, movie takes priority, but they do their best now to not have any issues with yeah. that. Before, they wouldn't have necessarily cared at all if they contradicted with anything. Okay, we got to move on to Yeah, news. we do. Let me kind of power through a couple key little points that I noticed. Uh, Vin Diesel, Morgan Freeman, Tom Hanks, Kyle MacLachlan, Kurt Russell, and Denzel Washington were all considered for the role of Qui-Gon. 
Okay, can we go a little bit slower through of some course. of those people? Morgan Freeman, I get it, but there's nothing that interesting there. No, it would have been bad. Uh, Vin Diesel would have been awful. It would have been ridiculous. Kyle MacLachlan is fascinating to me. It's very interesting. I wouldn't have liked it. It would be different, that's all. I think he actually is a perfect fit for the Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah. Are you I think kidding? he's exceptional. Oh, yeah. I just think that role would have been a horrible fit. It wouldn't be the same character anymore. I don't know if he's old enough. Well, do you know what's crazy is? Uh, Liam Neeson was 46 in this movie. Yeah. Qui-Gon's character is 60. Yeah, that's fine. I'm at peace with that. Well, like, yeah, but Kyle like, McLaughlin wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no, but characters like Aragorn kind of make that stuff yep. believable. But like, it's interesting. Within Star Wars, pretty much every human really links well with their age. Okay. Except for him. He's the only one that really doesn't work. And I still buy it. Maybe oh, it's yeah, just he the just monk ate, look. Yeah, exactly. He just yeah. aged really well. <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin just does always kind of, even in Twin Peaks, he just kind of has like a very... Uh, 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 straight and narrow look. Even mm-hmm. if the character he's playing is a wackadoo, he always yeah. looks normal. Well, I think, yeah, I think he would definitely fall in that category yeah. as more of a, maybe a First Order or Imperial side. Or Oh, yeah, he could play. A, or just like an eccentric kind of renegade uh, hotshot. I guess yep. I could see that. Yeah, it could work. Uh, Kurt Russell, which is also interesting because yeah. he was also up for Han. Oh, yeah. So... That's kind of cool, actually. That's two instances of not getting the role. Again, different character. Totally. More American. Yeah. But but I can see it. But also, it's interesting, because I did compare Qui-Gon to Han twice already today, not even realizing I was going to do that going in. But they're entirely different characters. They're, they are entirely different characters. There's yeah. nothing remotely similar about them. One doesn't believe in the Force, and one lets the Force guide them completely, and right. is the first person to become a Force ghost. Right. But there are certain a couple areas there. And he's also the more senior to the the kind of younger main character so yep. there there definitely are some some hints it's interesting that kurt russell's there and then there's also denzel yeah and that one also probably could have been pretty good i can see it yeah uh, again very different and very american but yeah I, I could see it and here are some ones also for obi-wan okay uh kenneth brenna which is excellent he would have been great again though isn't he too old no he's gonna be he can't be younger than kyle mclaughlin huh Kenneth Brown? No. No, he's not. For Obi-Wan. I wouldn't think... Uh, yeah, okay, that, but, okay, but what if they cast... There, no, sorry. There was a point in time, and now I'm, I'm forgetting getting this backwards. There was a point in time in the Phantom Menace script that Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were the same age. Oh, okay. Contemporaries. Yeah, they were contemporaries, not uh, Master Apprentice. Oh, interesting. So that would be the reason why that was the case. Okay. Um, so yeah, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I mean, yeah, he belongs in Star Wars. That's fine. Yeah, he would be exceptional. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Jackman? Nope. No. Uh, Tim Roth uh, could work as a villain in Star Wars yeah, sure. only. Great character actor, though. Yeah, yeah, but never as a good guy. Probably not. No. Um, and Harry Connick Jr. No. 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 But at the time, he was a hotshot, so that's why they would have thought of it, probably. No. The same way they thought... No, but the same way they were thinking like Leo for to take over Jake Lloyd's role for the next movie. I don't want them driving in the bongo in the seas of Naboo and him sitting in the passenger seat singing Swanee River. I'm not interested in Harry Potter. That's amazing. I don't want that. I like him a lot, but that's bullshit. At the end of the day, we could not have gotten a better Obi-Wan. No, this is true. Ewan McGregor is a better Obi-Wan than Alec Guinness in my books. Just side note, I saw Christopher Robin, and it's bad. Oh, no! Bad film. No! Because sometimes he doesn't pick good movies. Oh, that's that's a shame. (laughs) As we know. Yeah. But I actually found out, it was kind of funny, uh, when he found out that he got this role... Uh, I forget who it was. 
uh, what's that band that has the two brothers that hate each other? Oasis. Oasis. What are their the names? Gallagher's. Noah and... Uh, yeah, I think he was Noel with... Noel and uh, Liam. Yeah, I think he was with Noel Gallagher. Okay. I could be wrong on that, but I think he was at his house uh, at a party, mm-hmm. and uh, he drank a ton and woke up the next morning to a message that he got the part. Oh. And so Noel Gallagher had, like, really good quality like toy lightsabers stunt lightsabers so they went and had a war in the backyard that's funny <laughs> that's really quite great that's a great story and it's also cool because it he really wanted this role and like when you see the documentaries of things how excited he is uh every single day being like when do i get to pick my lightsaber yeah and that's like, sweet it's kind of too bad that there's such a stink on those movies even if he is the guy people like him in like it, he, I, I can understand if even in this time where people are really celebratory of his Obi-Wan and want him to do mm. it again, I can appreciate if part of him has got reservations. He said again, though, this past week, um, doing a Christopher Robin thing, yeah. that he would love to do it again. Who, who are the assholes on Press Junkets still asking him about The that? View. Yeah, come on. Yeah, only reason I watched it was because it had an Obi-Wan in right. the title, of right. course. <laughs> it's not like The View generally pops up on my feed. However, Star Wars is the only thing that it pops knows. up on mine. Yes. Exactly. Um, and, uh, not really a whole lot left here. Uh, oh, the, the Phantom Menace, uh, the name of Phantom Menace came from a villain in Flash Gordon. Okay. No shocker there. Yeah. And also it was a term that NASA used for the disappearing, um, and unsuccessful, um, Mars rovers, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when they were trying to send, uh, different uh, satellites and such to mars it's and things phrase. kept disappearing both are both really strong words mm, absolutely really yeah all right now we have the news yeah, can you keep this tight because we're think running we, long we definitely have to um let's leave episode nine till the end let's okay. start off with uh the rumored name of disney streaming service is disney direct okay so for now let's call it disney direct because that makes sense they have said they don't really intend to compete with netflix i'm not sure what that means i think that means that they're using it as a small like a lower price and they don't want to start off with a bang Mm -hmm. they will without a doubt over the next couple years beef themselves up to be as big as netflix i mean their library is exclusive whereas netflix isn't yeah and it's the thing where they'll start off i think they're going to start off smaller they won't have the act they won't have license to the star wars movies uh so netflix still has the license for seven eight nine rogue one and solo and uh, so anything post disney and anything pre-Disney belongs to Turner, I think, or Time Warner. Yeah. Um, so they won't actually have any of the Star Wars movies ready for it. Okay. Now, they're still trying to get the rights to those. Uh, Turner, I think it was, paid uh, $275 million for eight years of the rights to the first six movies. So right. to tr- And that was like two years ago. So, or three years ago. Right. So there's still some time left, but Disney's got to try and uh, work their way back out of that deal. Yeah. Uh, $100 million for 10 episodes of John Favreau's TV show. $10 million bucks an episode? Yep. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to make a comment earlier when we were talking about George Lucas about how it would be nice if they got him to direct an episode of that just for old times. That'd be cool. But not for $10 bucks. they're not. <laughs> Good point. No, they're not going to be hasty. Well, what's cool and what's a little interesting is... Although you think of like Game of Thrones and the quality and it's exceptional and this is around that price range, uh, I was watching, I was li- sorry, listening to the Resistance podcast, which is another big Star Wars podcast, uh, and they were mentioning on that today how um, 
if you consider the notion of kind of like the TV budgeting, Star Wars is starting off with a $10 million budget. Yeah. Has any show ever started off with a budget like that? No. The biggest shows in the world end with these high budgets. Yeah. Star Wars is starting with this, so who knows what it's going to be like in a couple seasons. And also, there is one other area where you can look at it with kind of a worrisome lens in that The Last Jedi, for example, uh, almost like a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and it was, what, three, four, $400 million budget? $400 million yeah. budget? Yeah. And... This is going to be like a 10-hour segment of Star Wars visual for a quarter of that price. I know. I mean, it's all relative, and things have really changed cinematically in, in recent years. Like, I think Game of Thrones holds the record right now for most expensive episode of television ever made. Probably. I think it was The Battle of the Bastards, and I think it was like $106 million or something. Episode. It was just, I, I'm, I'm just kind of fishing for numbers, but it's something insane. Yeah. But previous to that, like only 10 years ago, the most expensive episode of television history was the pilot episode of Lost which was like 8 million bucks. So, really? No, it was probably like 20 million bucks. <laughs> but it was like, there, it, it's it dramatically increased. dramatically in the last decade. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And there are certain episodes that will likely have much smaller budgets. Uh, it's also, it's rumored that the plot is going to be set on Mandalore. Yep. Uh, and I am extremely confident in this. That kind of that kind of erases the need for a Boba Fett movie too, by the way. Yeah, it does. And that's, yeah. that's I think, part of the reason. So, the reason why I'm convinced that this is a rumor that will come true is a, is a lot of reasons. John Favreau, the character that he played in Clone Wars, was Pre Vizsla, who was a Mandalorian, uh, kind of like a warmonger. He was a bad dude, but John Favreau understands the Mandalorian culture. Yes, Mandalore has been brought back recently with Rebels as becoming really kind of to understand the history and the culture behind it a little bit more. Uh, it's sectioned to a single planet, mm -hmm. which means they can keep their budget more in check and they don't need to spend as much time in space yep. where things get insanely expensive. Yep. All of the main, all of Mandalorians are humans. Therefore, you don't have to pay for insane costumes with CG. You get the familiar familiarity look of Boba Fett without the constraints of a character from the original trilogy. Oh, yeah. There is everything in my mind points that it will 100% be on Mandalore. The only issue with that I have with that is... I've not been a huge fan of Mandalore. <laughs> no, is that right? Uh, it's good. It just it lacks a little for me. Okay, but they can develop that. They can, but I'm worried it'll have uh, an absence of the Force. That's my oh, worry. Yeah. Is because Mandalorian culture is they've always been kind of their own side. Right. They fight wars constantly in within themselves and without within the galaxy. Now the time period's interesting for them because we really know nothing about Mandalore post Empire. Okay. Uh, so that's could that could be very cool. They could have a very interesting political landscape, and it could be extremely cool. And, and they could get involved with exactly. Yeah. You, there's so many ways in which you could make it work. You could have Sebastian like uh, Stan come in for an episode a season as Luke Skywalker. There are so oh, many cool. You think they do that? Uh, I think they should definitely be considering that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Age wise, it works perfectly. It does. You can easily dub Mark Hamill's voice in if you want. But you don't have to. No, you don't have to. You wouldn't. No, probably not. But it's the sort of thing where if it's like a super small role and like they wanted to stay true to it, and I know Mark Hamill's picky about Luke Skywalker. <laughs> he is, and it was also like, in, the only reason not to do it would be kind of insulting to Sebastian Stan. He also thinks it's cool. Yeah. He's, he's mentioned, he, 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 when he, the picture first circulated a couple of years ago, he thought, he was like, whoa, this is super cool. Looks Flattered just, looks it. just like me. Because yeah. also Sebastian Stan's super good looking. Yeah. 
Oh, there's nothing unflattering <laughs> about being compared to the hero of the great movie saga that everybody loves. No, exactly. I mean, Winter Soldier, Luke Skywalker, I think both are pretty cool characters. Both <laughs> pretty are. cool guys. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's interesting the way that's going to go. Uh, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping that... Uh, it strays beyond Mandalore a little bit more. I'm sure it will. And yeah, and they're a they're a culture that in the past has been a little bit closed in, but I'm 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 very optimistic and John Favreau absolutely knows what he's doing. He does. So yeah. Uh a couple of little other bits. Uh Boba Fett, Jeremy Bullock from Empire, the guy who played him, done a bunch of comic conventions, retired, no longer gonna do those. Okay. So good for him. Yeah. Big uh kind of one of those people who did probably I don't know. Probably his career was. Well, being... yeah. I don't know how many times he would have taken pictures with people as Boba Fett, and like that sort of stuff's super cool. He put in his time, and yeah, the fact that he put in his time for this long is amazing. So yep. good for him. Uh, also, in one of the recent comics for the Star Wars series, uh, we find out that Luke was the founder of Rogue Squadron. Oh, okay. So he created the Rogue Squadron in memory of Rogue One and Jyn Erso. Uh, he was very moved by what Jenner so did. That's cool. Yeah. And so he wanted to kind of follow up on that. Uh, Resistance. So the TV show that's coming to Disney XD this fall, uh, there is the release in Germany announced for October 13th. So the odds are around October 13th is where we'll get it here. Yeah. That's fairly soon. Yeah. So it's really coming right around the corner. Uh, 22 episodes in the first season. Uh, first episode is a two-part pilot called The Recruit. Uh, generally, all we know about the series is kind of this little synopsis here. Uh, Star Wars Resistance is an animated series set amongst the events leading up to The Force Awakens. While many details are yet to be announced, it will follow Kazuto Kaziono, uh, a young pilot recruited by the Resistance and tasked with a top-secret mission to spy on the growing threat of the First Order, along with appearances by established characters such as Poe Dameron and Captain Phasma. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... Uh, the main character, Kaz, I think he's kind of a hotshot flyer. He's recruited by the Resistance. There's been some information around that there might be some some pod racing of sorts or illegal racing done on kind of like a backworld planet where Mm -hmm. he's able to kind of gather some interesting intel. Uh, So yeah, it's going to be based very militaristically and about flying. Piloting is really kind of one of the big themes for the show. Nice. Yeah, Makes I'm, sense, Resistance. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm really hoping it's better than it looks. I hope it's not... I hope it's much closer to Rebels in terms of its adultness than it is to, like, Forces of Destiny. I'll be disappointed and won't watch it if it's the Forces of Destiny style, unless it's, like, it gets better and gets a little bit more mature as it goes. Uh, but, obviously, once again, it's Star Wars. I'm stoked for it, yep. and we'll keep my my mind open to it. Uh, personally, I've binged through a lot of Lords of the Sith, which is uh, one of the books that I've been making some decent progress. Uh, Last Shot really slowed me down in my Star Wars book reading just because it was uh, the first third was great and the middle third was so incredibly slow yeah. that I'd never got to the final third. I will yeah. go back and do it, but Lords of the Sith in the last six days, I've listened to like eight hours of the book. It's incredible. It's really known gotcha. as one of being one of the best in the canon series. Who is the central character in that? Uh, so Lords of the Sith, it's based on Vader, the Emperor, uh, two kind of Imperial leads, and two members of the Free Ryloth movement. So oh. the Free Ryloth movement, Ryloth is the planet where Twi'leks come from, and uh, there's kind of two main Twilight characters who are freedom fighters, uh, one of them being the father of Hera Syndulla, a character from Rebels, one of the main characters from Rebels, her father Cham Syndulla, 
Uh, and so those are characters who are generally they're fighting to save their planet from imperial reign, and they are the first, uh, are the first essentially re- rebels or people within the empire to take down a star destroyer. Oh, okay. Uh, and so they take down the star destroyer that Vader and the Emperor are on. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that's kind of it, it, uh, that's all I'll say. But uh, it's been a very, very good book. Nice. So one I recommend. Uh, And now, on to episode nine, the updates that we have there. Very likely the longest movie we're going to be getting in the Star Wars world. Okay, I don't know how I feel about that. uh, I'm totally fine with it because of the heavy rumors that have a 0% chance of happening. I repeat, hardcore 0% chance of happening. Never going to happen. Never will happen. There will not be two parts to episode nine. They are not making two movies. You mean that like, is the, like Mockingjay? Yeah, exactly like break. that. That is the dumbest rumor I've ever heard. Main reason is they started filming. They have a script. Yeah, it's done. They know if it's five hours long yes. and that it needs to be two movies. Oh, God. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. just the dumbest thing ever. Also, Star Wars is in damage control mode. Yeah. Yeah, they want to piss off every fan by changing the trilogy into no. a quad... Like... No, that's the stupidest You're thing ever. Totally right. They're, that's just people saying shit. And to be honest, yeah, I don't even want to give it any more time. No. It's become like a big topic, and it's the stupidest one I've not ever happening. heard. It's nope. not happening. No way. Um, there's also another big theory that's going around that is also so friggin' dumb. <laughs> okay. And I'm sorry, anyone. There are people who thinks this is, think this is like a game changer and a great theory, and like even if it doesn't happen, it's a great theory. It's stupid. It's okay. a terrible theory. It's that Kira is Ray's mother, and that Han went back and cheated on Leia with Kira, and that's why Ben hates him so much because he oh, broke up please. their family. It's uh no that. Oh is... my God, she has brown hair and she's British. That does not mean that she's her mother. Yeah. Also. Just because Han was like a father doesn't mean he is. Right. Also, neither of them are Force-sensitive, so that makes no fucking sense. Right. And on top of that, the timeline doesn't work at all. Right. Rey is 19, which means Rey was born 11 years after, which was actually a trivia question you had for me, after Return of the Jedi, which means, in this instance, Ben, who was born two years after Return of the Jedi, as when Ben's nine, Han cheats on Leia who's being a political figure and has a son who is this like force sensitive and Han's out cheating with someone who he used to know like 15, 20 years ago who betrayed him. But you know what? Really, his life is pretty good right now. Yeah. (laughs) There is zero fucking chance this happens. Also, do you want to piss off the memory of like the late Carrie Fisher even more? We don't have Princess Leia the same way that we used to. Never. We will not. We we will have her again, which was amazing, but yeah. never in the same way. Right. And we will never have Carrie Fisher again. Right. We have Harrison Ford still, but we'll never have Han Solo again no. in the same way. No. We'll maybe have uh, Alden Ehrenreich come back yeah. again, but we'll never have Han Solo Is in the that same way. How we're going to send them off? Yeah. Are you seriously going to tell me that Han and Leia, the true <laughs> love story of the original trilogy, is going to be ended because you know what? I think Amelia Clark's a better fit. Oh, you're so mad. It is the dumbest theory. Don't, this is another thing you have to not give so much attention to because, it, first of all, anybody who believes this theory is is one of those people who hates The Last Jedi mm-hmm. and is now projecting bad storytelling onto it. 
So they're saying, oh, they're terrible storytellers. You're, they're probably going to do this. And then a rumor starts. Well, that's the thing. is, like, I'm okay with rumors. I think rumor, speculation for Star Wars is a blast. I yeah. love doing it. It's what got me back into Star Wars when Disney bought Star Wars. Yeah. Because I immediately got hooked on YouTube videos theorizing on what the new Star Wars could be like. Yeah. And it brought me back to my childhood. I loved it. But this is ridiculous. Like, yeah, you can have cool theories and you can have fun theories, but don't have ones that are like almost like inciting anger. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm I'm not it's not generally good to get angry about anything when it comes to Star Wars cuz that's just too many people get angry about it and so I'm not actually angry. It's right. just like people should use common sense more when evaluating theories and journalists should do a much better job of weeding of, that out. Of weeding that out You're and right. not posting sensationalized Reddit theories. Yeah that have just built up steam if you have a good theory yeah you know what shedding some light on that and doing like a report and saying oh there's a really cool theory going around that's fine but like the theory needs to be researched right you see it on reddit all the time people are discussing something like in say it's involved the last jedi something that's controversial uh leia poppins or whatever it is and yeah some, somebody will chime in with a well wait wasn't it proven that because she's this she has this and someone like they'll just go with it as if it was proven mm -hmm. that's the thing there's so like because fake news so well that's true and there's a lot of yeah. the cases with that because of how much star wars exists and what's considered canon still, what isn't. There are certain things that when you look on the databases are very confusing and it's hard to be able to know the true source as to what information came from. Like Wikipedia, they'll have things and they have legend sections and canon sections, but there are mixtures at certain points where you don't always know what's canon and what's legends. Yeah. So it makes sense where people get their facts not straight, so people should be a little less aggressive or dive down the rabbit hole of mistaken facts. <laughs> right. Uh, cast... Okay. So the cast. So the cast has been announced, meaning we now know Luke is back. No more needing to bullshit speculation over right. that. Right. People don't need to think, oh, is he coming back as Force Ghost? Yes. He'll be back. Right. No need to worry. No one's ever really gone. Maz is back. So yeah, Lupita Nyong'o. So hopefully this is more than her last Jedi role. Yeah. Because that was really disappointing. Yeah, it was. Because great character. Love Maz. Very, very, very likely Maz will be sharing some scenes with the character that everyone's the most happy is coming back. And that would be Leia. That would be really great. And so Carrie Fisher, there were scenes that she filmed with Maz Kanata for The Force Awakens. Uh, it's assumed that those, because they were kind of extended longer scenes, yeah. would be ones that will be used for Episode Nine. The nice thing about uh, unused footage for The Force Awakens is uh, there was so little um, exposition in The Force Awakens. Like, they were just setting everything up. Everything, Every scene in The Force Awakens is vague. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of put it in any movie. Yep. And she's also in locations that are vague. And, but I mean, you can put her in a different location. That's not hard to do to be able to cut her out. But I'm really, really excited about this. Being able to, they're pulling footage from The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens and piecing things together. And very likely they're not going to kill Leia now. And Leia will live throughout the series. And she's handed off the resistance to Poe. So whatever they use her for, it can be sparingly. And we can just uh, peacefully go on assuming that she went into some kind of retirement. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's wonderful. It is nice. I think that's the way it should be. And I yeah. think the fact that, and obviously if they weren't able to do that, no one would ever fault them. The fact that they can is amazing. Yeah. Uh, we knew that Carrie Russell was going to be in the movie, yep. so she was confirmed. Not initially. She wasn't in the first cast list, but because everybody, the rumor mill was going crazy with it, and people started bugging Disney, they like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's in it, too. It was clear, yeah. Um, there's potential that maybe she wasn't a, a confirmed until, like, last minute, uh, but who knows? Right. With Star Wars, 
you're told, oh, you have the role. You better be in a plane in three days. Right. And you're not going to be like, oh, sorry, I can't make that work. Yeah. Uh, but also, this is something that I've noticed a lot of people aren't doing. And I don't understand why. We had a couple months back a few character announcements on people who they would be auditioning for. And now we have people who fit those descriptions who are now in roles and people are theorizing over who those roles could be. I think Richard E. Grant, you can theorize over. He was in Logan and Game of Thrones. We don't know what his character is. There was no announcements for a male character. So he's the only one that's up in the air. He was who I was referring to earlier as someone who you look at him, he is the spitting image of every imperial officer on the face of the earth. Okay. So if you want to create a character who's like a badass, like not Silver wimp. hair, high cheekbones. Yeah, kind not of furrowed it, brow. Literally exactly like that. Yeah. Like tall, thin. Uh, he is exactly what you would picture. He'll be, a, he'll be amazing or whatever he is. Uh, he could be a knight of Ren. He could be someone who's brought in as someone who wants to take over power because they think like Kylo Ren's an unstable and unfit leader and is working with Hux to take over that power or something. I think he could have a very cool role like that. A ton of people are theorizing he's Grand Admiral Thrawn. Okay. Uh, which is very possible. I don't think it would be. I think it's uh, it, it probably is a pretty good choice. I don't cool. know. I don't know how the Chiss age. Uh, Chiss is the species of Thrawn. I don't know how they age. So if they age like humans, the age actually works pretty well too. But if not, then uh, well, actually, no, the age wouldn't work necessarily. It'd be pretty close. But yeah, you you could make it work that it's sure. it, it would fit pretty decently. I don't think that's who it'll be. There's no reason to bring in a character like Thrawn into episode nine yeah. this way it's weird they will never put him in a saga movie they would have made they could maybe one day put him in a star wars story it will not be in episode nine though right. but the other two carrie russell there was a character that was going to be middle-aged and it needed to have high action skills and carrie russell was brought in for her high action skills and acumen she okay. is a middle-aged woman which was a requirement yeah. mara is a red-haired person Oh, it yeah. works. Yeah. She's not going to play the Mara Jade we knew. No. But Mara is a codenamed character, and Carrie Russell is absolutely playing who that codenamed character is. Definitely. Also, Naomi Aki, who from Lady Macbeth. She's playing a character who is part of the Resistance, most likely, uh, because she's most likely playing the character of Caro, who was mentioned like four months back as uh, a character of ethnic descent, who's okay. part of the Resistance, who's in her mid-20s, all these things describing Naomi Aki. Uh, and someone who's a polarizing person with gravitas and spunk and a great character. So literally, it could not be fitting the T to these characters more. So we know Naomi Aki is going to be part of the resistance, is going to be kind of like a, kind of what I'm guessing, like a female Poe almost. That'd be cool. Someone, I think, to bring in maybe some of the, uh, I think Billy Lord's going to have a bigger role. She was announced as part of the cast. You know, I find that interesting too. So my guess is maybe... Naomi Aki and Billy Lord and Leia, the three of them can bring up, kind of, can fill some of the void that the resistance leadership lost with yeah. Akbar and the reduction in Leia's role and no Holdo. So you're going to need to replenish that some way. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's maybe there. I don't really know who Mara's character is because Mara Jade was on both sides right uh in legends it's just a code name it's just to, but it's just to get the rumor mill going but it could be indicating that this character of carrie russell 
could be on both sides the same way that right. DJ was. Yep. The other wonderful casting announcement is that Benicio Del Toro will not be in this movie. Great. I really? know. Well, DJ, he's not on the cast list. He could have a very small part and was just not announced, but he wasn't on the cast list, and that's amazing because DJ was a stupid character. That's just JJ going, you know, are we going to correct this here? And it's not yeah. really any harm done. It's yeah. fine. Yeah, there are things like I love Ryan Johnson's understanding of the Force, and yeah. I am stoked for his trilogy. I think as long as it's Jedi-focused or Force-focused, it'll be great. Every error that Ryan Johnson made was outside of the Force in my books. Yep. It was with things like Canto Bite and Rose and the Fath years and just those kind of the, the small things that like to some people matter i guess more than others yeah uh, so that's why they hated the last jedi but for me his understanding of the force usurps that so it doesn't really matter right because <laughs> it's he has that so on lock you got anything else uh not too much oh two other things no dj but also no phasma and no snoke Okay. So no Andy Circus in there. However, doesn't mean they that can't... does not mean anything because no. why would they put Andy Circus in there? They put Mark Hamill in there because they didn't want fans to riot. Right. You don't put Andy Circus in there because then that gives away a spoiler. It does. So that's a spoiler. Yeah, and even he, I think he should be in there, even if it's just at the very least a flashback, and just to make it, just to bring ground him in all three movies. Maybe even if he's, I guess, but even if he's not in the movie, that doesn't mean the story of Snoke is, he needs is still to untold. be mentioned. He needs to be mentioned. Oh yeah, no, there'll be more. Definitely. There'll be more there. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. That's it. Well, thank God, because this episode has been like 90 minutes long. It has definitely been our longest episode, but we also took our longest break. Yes, and I thank everybody for their patience. We're in our new studio. Everything seems to be going great. It's 1,000 degrees in here, but that's just what summer is. Uh, we thank you. Uh, if you want to be caught up to us by next week, you got to watch the first 40 minutes of The Phantom Menace, which is a bummer at times, but <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> uh, tweet us your thoughts at Recorder66. Email Recorder66Podcast. Send us a voice memo. We'll play it on the podcast. Uh, and uh, give us a little rate and review on the old iTunes. In the meantime, I spec. No, I apologize. <laughs> May the force be with you. <laughs> Thank you.